Welcome to How to Commit Journalism, part of Capital Broadcasting's podcast network. I'm Enterprise Executive Producer Ashley Talley. And in this podcast, we take you behind the scenes, pulling back the curtain of journalism, giving you the backstory behind the big story. For the past few episodes, I've talked with people at WRL News about changes that we've had to make in relation to coronavirus, changes as business people, as journalists, as humans. We've talked about logistics, about technology used to bring you the news while trying to remain physically distant. We've talked about people having green screens in their dining rooms and what technology we're using to make sure we stay safe as we do interviews and send back newscasts from people's homes. I was thinking the other day about a sticker that used to be on my computer at the last station where I was. In fact, it was a sticker on everybody's computer at this station because one of our coworkers, he was into the label makers, you know, the, the, where you can type out a, a message and print it out and then it becomes a, a sticker. And he printed it out and put it on everyone's computer and it said, TV is about people. And I think that's one thing that I've not addressed perhaps here in this podcast the past few weeks as we talk about all the technical aspects of what WRL is doing to make sure we stay on the air and keep our viewers informed. That sticker was there to remind everybody, from the news director to the anchors to the editors to the assignment desk, of what the true purpose of our jobs are. And I think that's easy to get lost sometimes. The label maker guy, he was our assignment editor, assignment manager at that last station. And if you don't know what that job is, Jamila Elder, who is a longtime assignment editor here at WRAL, is going to explain what it's like to be on the front lines of a pandemic when you're dealing directly with the public who is frustrated and often just wants somebody to talk to. Today, we're talking with assignment editor Jamila Elder. She has been at RAL for 12 years. 12 years. Okay. So you've seen a lot over those 12 years, I imagine. Um, I got my start as an assignment editor, too. And I will be honest, when I went for my first interview, I had to Google what an assignment editor was because I don't think that the term assignment editor really describes what you do. Can you tell people what an assignment editor does? Sure. So my mom and dad are always so proud of me just because I work at a TV station. So they always tell people an assignment editor. And when I tell people I'm an assignment editor, it's almost like the excitement dies down Uh just because they're like, oh, you work at WREL. They assume that you're automatically on TV. So an assignment editor is a person, our primary responsibility is to listen to police scanners. So if we hear anything on the police scanners that, you know, an officer in involved shooting, a bad car accident where there are fatalities, things like that. It starts with us. We hear those things on the scanners and then it's our job to dispatch a crew or to decide, hey, this is big enough for us to send someone or it's not. So that's our primary responsibility. We also are answering the calls from the viewers. We're monitoring the emails and we're taking tips, be it through email, social media, or um, from people that are calling into the newsroom. So you're the front line of, of news coming into the newsroom. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk about the calls and emails first, but I bet you hear some crazy things on the scanners. For sure. <laughs> um, you can hear anything from cattle running across the roadway to, you know, the domestic violence fights and the situations about that. Um, you just hear an array of things. <laughs> you name yeah. it, we're hearing it on the scanners. And I know that as an assignment editor, your your ears get peaked to hear um, drowning, shooting, stuff like that. Are there any times that you can remember in the 12 years here that you got chills when you heard something on the scanner or that it was just really 
shocking. Yeah. So as an assignment editor, as we said, you hear a little bit of everything. So you're kind of accustomed to it. And unfortunately, in our line of work, you become used to it. So this actually happened to me prior to coming to WREL at my old station, um, was in Columbus, Ohio. And there was um, a drowning. It was like a family. They had all gone into this body of water. And it was like a parent had jumped in to rescue the kids. But it was like each and every day, someone from the family was recovered. So that's a story You know, I've been here for 12 years. I worked in Ohio for six. So that's a story that has stayed with me over the years. I've never forgotten that story. Wow, I bet. Um, What about a year ago, April 10th, is the Durham explosion, right? Did you guys hear that on the scanner? We did. So that originally came across as a gas leak. And so— Which you hear a lot. Yes. I mean, I feel like we hear it more now than we did before. And maybe it's just because our ears are more sensitive to it. Um, So that came across the scanners as a gas leak. I'll never forget it. I was on the desk that day. I think I was solo. And um, it came across as a gas leak. The helicopter was already up. I can't recall if we were on that particular gas leak or something else. And then all of a sudden... It it came across as an explosion. So our veteran photographer, Chad Flowers, was in the helicopter, and he immediately said, you're going to have to get more people out here. This thing is huge. So I called the conference room. I believe you all were there. I don't know if you were in the morning meeting or not. And I told Martha, I said, hey, we've got to get more people out here. And so immediately, and that you know, goes to our point of what assignment editors do. It's our job to know this is a big deal or this is not. Um, We had an officer involved shooting a couple of years ago, A.K.L. Dinkins, and um, our former managing editor, Bonnie Moore, was here. And you don't want to ever disrespect your boss or your leadership. And so I remember that was in the middle of all the humongous officer-involved shootings were happening and people were videotaping them with their phones and things. And it was our first one. So I remember our helicopter being over that scene and I saw the interaction in the community. And I called Bonnie and I was like, hey, we're going to need more than one reporter. And to this day, she will she'll tell me like, hey, gal, I'm so glad you called and told me we needed more than one reporter. So those are that that's a part of our responsibility as well to know, hey, this is a big deal and we need to send multiple crews. Your news judgment is, is honed every day. Absolutely. Having to make those decisions. Yeah. In the next segment, Jamila talks about what it's like to be on the front lines during a pandemic with people who have nowhere else to turn. Coronavirus has been going on for weeks, months now, I guess, Um, you know. I think we're in week four. Week four of in North Carolina, yeah. So we had our first case here March 3rd. Our assignment editors and, and news desk has really been inundated. More calls and more emails than usual. Is that correct to say? Absolutely. That first week, I think because the coronavirus hit us, to us, out of nowhere, um, it just kind of hit us like a flood. And the calls the first week, I think people were worried. They were scared. They didn't know what to do. They weren't clear on what the stay-at-home thing meant. And so as a result, the phone, the volume of the calls was like through the roof, more so than a regular day. Um, And we're hearing everything. I mean, just people that didn't know what to do. They were upset. They were, I don't know. It was just, it was a, a wide array of phone calls, if I remember that very first week. Honestly, if you told me then that things would be this way, four weeks later, I wouldn't believe you, that 80% of our newsroom would be working elsewhere, that that schools would be closed for probably the rest of the year. So I imagine as the situation has evolved, the calls you've taken have evolved. Talk about some of 
what you've been hearing a lot of. What are some of the frequently asked questions and what are some particular cases you remember? Sure. So, again, that first week, everybody was, I think we were all in shock and awe. And the emotions were crazy for people that were calling. They were crazy for us. We were scared. We were worried. We didn't know what was going on. So I think the calls that have stuck out to me the most are going to be those unemployment calls. These are people that have been trying for weeks to get onto the unemployment website to file for unemployment. We're still hearing from people to this day, and we're in week four, people that are saying, I've been trying for two weeks, I've been trying for three weeks, and I still cannot get on. Not only that, they also cannot get a live person on the phone. So they're calling us. And in those first couple of weeks, um, that first week I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of people calling. That second week, I will never forget, that Monday morning I woke up, It was hard because we were just so like it was so new. And that first Monday, that second week, that Monday morning, I was dragging getting out the house. And I remember you know what you're headed for, right? You know, it's going to be a tough day. Yeah, I hadn't watched any news all weekend. So then when I came in, it was like all I saw was the numbers and I felt bombarded as soon as I walked in. And I remember leaving my apartment that day and I said, God, give me strength to Um, put myself in these people's shoes. Help me to sympathize with what they're going through. So I went from frustrated and irritated with all the calls to trying to be more sympathetic. And so that was the week we started getting these phone calls about the unemployment. And I was was moved because I I will never forget the phone call I got. This from an, I could tell they were older. I have no idea how old they were, but they were older. The gentleman, he he sounded like he was already retired, but his wife was like a dentist and she had been um, furloughed. And they sounded like they had never had to file for unemployment before. So this was all new to them. I could hear it in her voice. She was crying in the background. He handled the call, but she was talking in the background and they were talking about how their mortgage was coming up. And, um, the man, he said, you know, I've never asked anything from my government ever before in my life. He said, and this is all we need. All we need is to get onto this website to get some money coming into our home. Wow. Out of all the calls, that's the one I remember. Wonder why that one sticks out so much because of that that one line that I've never asked anything. I mean, it's true. Most of us haven't. Just to give some context, we're almost at half a million people that are trying to file for unemployment in North Carolina. On a daily basis, sometimes it's 20,000 people added. The Department of Employment Security is used to about 3,000 like a week, right? So their website is completely, you just can't get on it. Um, and their phone lines are so crazy that it literally is just hanging up on people. It's not even like one woman emailed us yesterday and said, I would hold for eight hours if they would just let me hold with the you know, knowledge that I would get somebody eventually. And they, they're not even doing that because just the volume is so high. People are calling and emailing or the calls that I'm taking are they're saying I've called and you don't even get a person. It just immediately says the call volume is so high and then it just disconnects you. Can you imagine there was a guy that called or emailed? He said he had been, I think he called, he had been trying to get through for 28 days. He said 28 days I've been trying to get through. And he said, Every time you call, he said, it's so frustrating because every time I call, you get the automated message that just says the call volume is high. And so people are calling and they want to know what are they doing about this website? What are they doing about, you know, this call, the call um, center per se? And you don't really have an answer. Well, and I can put myself in that situation of trying to call my cable company or trying to return something to Amazon, like these trivial things that you just get so mad because you can't get a real person on the phone. This is their livelihood. These are their mortgages and their kids. And um, I cannot imagine how frustrating. Yeah. 
that must be. And they just want a live person, you know? And so, um, again, going back to that, trying to put myself in, in people's shoes because they just want to talk to a live person. So they call us, they vent, they get it off their chest. And for like, I think weeks two and three, I was okay. Um, this week, I'm feeling that frustration uh-huh. rear back up just a little bit. <laughs> Help me, God. You put me back in their shoes. <laughs> exactly. Um, but you, you just... You really sympathize and talking to friends and family. Uh, you know, I paid rent last week and I've never been more thankful. I was yeah. like, thank God. I literally paid the rent and was like, thank you, Jesus. Just because there are people that can't right now. A lot and of so people so we're fortunate, can. you know, we're fortunate to still have jobs to come to. And that's the other thing, like you mentioned, probably 80, 90 percent of our newsroom is working from home. And being able to come into work gives you a little sense of normalcy. Like I'm thankful to even get into my car and drive to work just to have that, you know, that separation sort of from it. I totally get that. One thing that I did not anticipate with working from home is that there is no beginning or end. It's literally from the time I get up until I go to bed, you know, because there's, like you said, there's no separation. It's it's the same physical space. It's right. the same, you know, the email doesn't stop. Um, going back to these people just wanting to talk to a human person, you, for a lot of people, are that person. I mean, you are the only person who will listen to them, who might have some information. What do you give advice? Do you point them places? Do you just listen? What's your kind of set thing that you do? Sure. So it goes back to what you said earlier about, you know, just having that good news judgment. So you kind of listen to people. If they're asking for advice, you try to help find it. A lot of those resources are on the DHHS website. So you can point people there. And sometimes they don't want that answer. You know, they don't want to call 211. They don't want to go to the website. They want you to help them. And so if there's something I can dig up online, I think, um, People were asking about the uh, $600 that the federal government is providing on top of the unemployment. So you try to direct someone to the website. They don't have a smartphone. They don't have a computer. So just kind of take a deep breath and help them out. You know, try to give them the information that they're looking for just because you're really the only human being they're getting access to at that point. That's going to answer them and listen to them and talk to them. And I think that... The assignment desk is also the first line. It's the first line to, to news, but it's also the first time line to our viewers. I feel like that you guys make people want to engage with WREL, whether it's online or on air, more because they do know that real people are behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, we're catching that, too. Um, I'm catching people saying, thank you so much for answering the phone or thank you so much for listening to me. There was a lady that called um Yesterday, she was having issues with the small business loan or something like that, and she just rattled off her piece. And then I said, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm so sorry you're going through that. You know, good luck. I hope things get better. And she said, just thank you for listening. And I think she maybe talked for like 10 or 15 minutes. I didn't have any answers for her. You know, I had nothing. And she was just like, thank you so much for listening. So... You know, just being that listening ear. Now, do we need someone to talk to after you leave work? Sometimes, yes. So I'm definitely calling my parents more and calling friends more and venting um, just because we're the sounding board for people while we're here. And then you kind of need that when you leave as well. I get that. Is the anger toward or the frustration toward the Employment Security Commission or the whatever it is, federal government, is that ever directed at you? I think it's just people that are angry or frustrated at the situation. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's ever at us personally. I took a call from a guy yesterday 
And I wasn't the person that transferred him, and he was transferred to Cullen Browder. <laughs> and oh, he no. called back, and I got him, and he was like, now why in the world would you transfer me to the most popular reporter at WRAL? <laughs> I will never hear back from Cullen Browder. And at that point, I'm not even going to lie, I had reached it. Like, it was 2.30 in the afternoon, 3 o'clock, and I was like, sir? I said, what you're not going to do is talk to me like that. You know, and I said, we're going to be done with this conversation. And he just, don't take it personal. I just don't understand. And I was like, hey, I didn't transfer you. But you're not going to get what you want talking to me like that. Mm -hmm. So there's a point. You reach your point where you're like, hey, enough's enough. You know, I understand you're frustrated at the situation, but I'm not your person. Yeah, (laughs) right. I also think sometimes in the past, I people... We'll call the assignment desk before they'll do something like call the police, or, you know, like with different things, like something's going on. Well, have you called, you know, the manager of this place? Well, yeah. And you're getting that. And you're, you know, people are calling because they're frustrated that their jobs aren't giving them masks or they're not giving them gloves or what have you. And then there's a couple calls we've taken from people about that. And I'm just like, oh, OK, well, I can certainly pass that along. But have you tried calling corporate? Who owns the company? Oh, I didn't think about that. Mm -hmm. So that's the step. You know, it's like just because you're calling WREL doesn't necessarily mean we're going to send a crew to your job um, to shut them down. That's just not what we're going to do. A lot of people do think that or want that or um, I'd say we get two to three hundred emails a day from people just to our like reply line. We have multiple ways people can contact us. How many calls a day would you guess? On a, in a 24-hour cycle that the assignment desk is taking? There's usually two of us on the desk at a time. I would guess upwards of 100 calls. Yeah. They've definitely gone down since that first week, but we're still getting a steady flow of calls throughout the day. It also seems to ramp up during news time, doesn't it? Yes. Anytime there's a press conference, Governor Cooper's press conference or President Trump's press conference, those phones are lighting up. And it's more so because people are trying to get an understanding of what this means. What does a stay-at-home order mean? And can I go to the grocery store? Can I do this or can I do that? And it doesn't matter that Governor Cooper just said it. <laughs> right, 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 right. He, <laughs> They're going to call to get that extra layer of what exactly does that mean? I got an email from Mary Alice, your counterpart on the assignment desk earlier today, and it said, I promised a viewer that I would ask you all to ask the governor this because my team and, and I are often on the governor's calls. And I just thought she carried through on a promise, you yeah. know. And that's all you can do. I mean, a lady called yesterday. She she was asking, she had an old password um, and she couldn't figure out how to reset it for the unemployment website. And I said, ma'am, you know, all we can do is try. You know, I can't promise you that Governor Cooper is going to answer that question. And she said, can you just try? Like she was mm-hmm. so over me <laughs> and over that website. And I was like, we'll do what we can do, you know. Yeah. So the expectations are high for us right now, I think, as media. And I'm sure it's not just for WREL, but for everyone across the world as far as TV stations. The expectation is high of us. And so I think as an assignment editor, yes, we're frustrated sometimes. But it is our job, like you said, we're on the front line to try to be what we can to our viewers as much as we possibly can. And, you know, a lot of different people work in putting on a newscast, producers, anchors, reporters, editors, everybody. But you guys are dealing with the public more directly or or a wider swath of the public more directly than a reporter who might talk to three or four people for a story. Um, does that give you, do you think, a better sense of kind of how the whole community is feeling? Um, and have you made any personal relationships through that at all? Um, I'd say no personal relationships per se. Um, I think what you just said is good just because the reporters are talking to three and four people and we're talking to like tons. And I think to your point, that is what 
helped us know that this unemployment was the story. I mean, this this is the story right now. You know, a couple of weeks ago, it was just we were doing whatever story we could think of. But then the amount of calls and the amount of emails we were getting about that website, it was just like, hey, this is the story right now. This unemployment website, the fact that people can't get through on the on the phone or online, this is the story. And so that's kind of our job as well to kind of filter through, okay, we've got you know, one case of COVID at ABC. And as we heard yesterday, as soon as the governor started his press conference, we've got 60 cases. We've got an outbreak at a nursing facility in Orange County. And so at that moment, you're like, that is the story. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of like digging through the weeds to figure out what exactly do our viewers want to hear about right now. And then too, you know, to that point also about the unemployment, I would say the other big story we're hearing about is the prisons. You've got the relatives that are calling. What are they doing about the prisoners to keep the prisoners safe? And we were told this and this isn't happening and so forth and so on. So I would say over the last couple of weeks, definitely the prisons has now become the story. We're not ignoring the unemployment story, but now we're seeing that the prisons is the story. And assisted living. Yeah, absolutely. That has really jumped up too. Um, And if you think about it, these people that can't reach the government through the, you know, unemployment system, prisoners and assisted living, these are all People that don't have a lot of agency over their own situations. Yeah, they're calling us. I mean, they're definitely calling us and telling us, hey, you know, my husband or my brother is at a noose or whatever, a correctional facility, and this is what's going on there. Now, you know, the <clears throat> we have some good public information officers. They're going to tell us so much. But, you know, the you know, extra things. Oh, they beat someone with a stick or they did this or they did that. That probably is just not information we're going to get. You know, they may not confirm to that extent. Coming up next, Jamila talks about what advice she would give somebody who is thinking about calling a television station with problems or questions of their own. All right, so if somebody out there is listening to us right now and is saying, well, gosh, should I call a news station in the future or not? What would you say to them? And, and what advice would you give them about how to approach that call? Ashley, why are you putting me on the spot? <laughs> Absolutely. We want you to call us. We want you to call us with your tips. I mean, I mean, that's sure. how we get a lot Absolutely. of news first, right? Absolutely. Because people do trust us, too. Yes. I mean, call us with your tips. Um, be clear and concise with your what you're calling about. Um, you know, unfortunately... Don't call with someone, your dog barking in the background, things like that. And realize that, you know, as frustrated as you are, it's not our fault. You know, you're calling us after you've called unemployment and tried to get onto the website for four weeks. We get your frustration. However, it's not our fault. We're going to do what we can to help you. So absolutely call us with your tips. Call us with what you see in the community as becoming a big story because we need it. We absolutely need it. So back to what I started with, that TV is about people. And people are behind TV. Absolutely. So treat us like people, too. Right, 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 for sure. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jamila. I really no appreciate it. Thanks for having me. How to Commit Journalism is produced by WRAL News and is part of Capital Broadcasting's podcast network. Be sure to subscribe in your podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And if you want to hear more about our coverage of COVID-19 and the current pandemic, head over to WRAL.com slash podcast, and you'll find a whole list of our podcasts that we're doing, including one we're doing and updating each day about the coronavirus.